Okie dokie. I'll just pray one more second. Uh, Lord, I just pray um, uh, for your peace. Uh, Bind anxiety in Jesus' name. Bind fear in Jesus' name. Um, Pray that you would pour peace into this house. Um, Lord, I pray you would take us. um, You said we could be seated in heavenly places with you. So I'm I'm praying that we would connect with you this morning where you're at, um, this Sunday morning that you're seated on your throne and um, and you're unmoving. And so we bow our will and we go to where you are. Um, Lord, I pray, um, spirit of truth, that we would see what is true. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, I feel nervous today because I have a really sober thing to talk about. And... Um, and the Lord specifically asked me to talk about this uh, this morning, and that is the fear of the Lord. Um, and and a few weeks ago, I had the chance to speak, and, and what I was speaking about was um, this idea of the light of our countenance is going to directly affect f- the light of our countenance is directly affected by where our eyes are looking. And if we are looking at the earth, um, we will have a downcast countenance. But if our gaze is in heaven, we the light of our face should shine because that um, is where the glory of the Lord is. And uh, and then that question, um, soul, why are, why are you downcast within me? <laughs> like, what is going on within us that our that our um, our countenance gets downcast? And that the Lord is saying, I am the solution, and um, your flesh is your problem. Um, And so uh, part two of this is um, this idea of us being heavenly minded and another side of gazing at the Lord, which is um, beholding the fear of the Lord. Um, We all know probably Proverbs 9.10, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, Fear is a really hard one that the church um, grapples with because we don't like fear. And if you think about your life and all of the things that you are trying to avoid, it's it's all about fear. Even if it's I'm going to get in trouble if I'm late for work again. I'm afraid of that. I have a device, my phone. I'm not going to set one alarm. I'm going to set like five. And then my anxiety and fear comes down. I'm pretty sure like one, I might push snooze and get in trouble. But if I set five, I'm going to be good. And, um, you know, we're just, we're running away from fear or we're confronting our fears, you know, headlong. Like um, I have trouble slowing down and getting out of the future because I don't like a bunch of stuff that could possibly happen. And so I want to like mitigate all of the fears. And so like, I'm going to, that bad thing has happened before. And so I'm just gonna, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, for whatever reason, I just went to diaper bags. Like, okay, listen, we're going to have four diapers. We're going to have enough wipes. We're going to have three outfits. They're going to have snacks and a sippy cup. Nothing bad is, anything bad that's going to happen, I am ready for it. So our lives are really driven around fear and uh, the worry of what, of the future and what is to come. And so we kind of take this idea of like the fear of the Lord and we turn it into 
part of what that word means, which is to revere or respect the Lord, right? Because, like, I really respect Dave and his, whatever, his artistic ability. And so, well, that seems pretty good and clean, and I'm, that doesn't make me feel yucky at all. So I, I can take God and be like, I'm going to behold God and totally like respect him and try not, you know, like I'm not going to step on his feet, but like I'm not scared of him. Um, and I just, I just want to start, um, I want to start this by showing you, it, it is scary. It is scary, this fear of the Lord. Um, let's go to Moses in Exodus 3. I just picked three examples that came to my mind because these are some, I, I've never come face to face with God. Like, he's never shown up before me. I've never, the angel of the Lord, uh, the glorious man has never showed up in front of me. So I don't have this experience, but we can believe what these people experience because the witness of the word is really faithful and it's just wise to believe what they said. Exodus 3, 2 through 6. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. But the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Um, so, so far, it's just like a confusing thing that's happening to him. And he said, do not draw near this place. So now it gets really serious. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look upon God. He was scared, and he hid his face. Go to Daniel, chapter 10. Um, verses 4 through 19. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphus. His body was like burl, and his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like torches of fire. His arms and feet were burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Um... And we sing kind of this language because it's beautiful. But, but it's, I don't know about you guys, but it's not very often that like the beauty of this man with eyes like fire moves my heart into fear. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Um, Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. You'll notice that it, um, there's something to do with their faces getting covered, you know, like they hide their face you know, over and over from the Lord. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I 
have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people on the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Um, and when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. It's amazing to me that he remembers what he's saying, <laughs> because it's terrifying. Um, and suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who was before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength, for how can the servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left within me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yeah, be strong. And then let's read, there are more examples, but let's just read about John on the island of Patmos in Revelation 1. This is verses 9 through 17. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was minding my own business. I was just worshiping God like I do. Um, and... I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, we'll skip, and then, so I've never heard a voice like a trumpet, that sounds scary, I mean, trumpets are startling when you're trying to pray, you know, get your worship on, and then all of a sudden there's like a blast of a trumpet, but it's words. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a gold band, and his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, a trumpet blast like that like a multitude he had on his right hand he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength and when i saw him i fell at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me and said to me do not be afraid so these encounters with the lord um that's more than respect i don't I respect a lot of people. Um, I even revere uh, authority to one degree or another. Um, but I've never fallen over <laughs> in my respect or my reverence for authority. It is, it's more than that. Um, and, and also, what do we know? Like, what would you say, like, Moses and Daniel and John all have in common at this point? Is, is they are, um, they're humble men. They didn't like just meet God yesterday. Like they're mature in their faith. And so this revelation that is causing them fear, and, and I'll say it, I think I probably have it in here at least three times, is that the fear of the Lord is something that you actually mature into. Little kids, uh, 
don't, you, we're like, we're not born with a lot of fear. It is something that we learn. That's a huge part of life is learning to what to be afraid of and what not to be. And so the fear of the Lord is something that we should be maturing in if we are maturing. And it isn't, um, I just wrote, it isn't respect. It isn't just that, although it is that. The definition says it's terror, it's awesome or terrifying things. It's respect or reverence, piety, dread. Um, this is a you, you can't breathe, you can't speak, and you can't stand kind of like falling on your face. It's something about just hiding your face from this. If we are encountering the Lord, if we are beholding him, and we are not growing in the fear of the Lord, then we aren't actually beholding him. Um, and so this is part of the fruit that we should be looking for, is growing in the fear of the Lord. Um, can you go to Isaiah 11, please? Um, this is a prophecy speaking of Jesus. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the very, the very um, spirit of God, the very spirit of Jesus, is, he's saying a huge chunk of this, is the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. Not like, okay, I didn't really like this part, but I've, you know, I've countered the cost and part of following God is like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fear the Lord. And it's not that. Jesus says it is his delight. He takes joy in it. He finds pleasure in fearing God. So there's something, if, if we okay, I'm gonna, I, I fear the Lord maybe a little, but like we're going toward the point of Jesus where we delight, we find joy. Um, it's pleasurable to fear God. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with the righteousness. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with his breath, when with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. So a huge part of why he says, I delight in the fear of the Lord is because of his justice. Um, when we look at, so I'm just picturing the throne room and I'm looking at God, right? I'm, I see Jesus on this, you know, I, I'm like... I'm evaluating it. So you think of the creatures that are surrounding him, and they're looking at him and evaluating him. They're gaining understanding. They're gaining knowledge. They're, um, we receive back counsel. We start getting counsel because we understand him. We receive the fear of the Lord, um, and he gives us knowledge and also might. He gives us the strength to do it. And I was also just, like, right before I came, um, thinking about the living creatures. And remember, like, they, they see him, and they cry out holy, and then what do they do? Do you remember what they cover? 
their eyes and their feet. And remember, he's like, everybody's falling on their faces. Everybody's covering their faces or running away. And the other thing that the Lord is often saying is take your shoes off. Like, this is a holy place. So a huge part of, like, this one thing desire um, of coming, of beholding the Lord to gaze on his beauty, um, inquire in his temple, is that we're maturing into the fear of the Lord. Um, go with me to Job. It's Job before Psalm. Yeah, Job is before Psalm. Let's go toward the end um, to chapter 38. So we're getting to the end. And the Lord, um, this is 38 verse 1. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, who is this who darkens counsel by, the, by words without knowledge? Now you prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer. Um, the opposite, and, and really what we all start in, um, when, we're not, when we don't have the fear and this reverence um, for the power of God and just the omnipotence and the... Um, how present he is, how powerful he is, how in control he is, is um, that we are given to foolishness. And so the Lord is saying, um, you are darkening my counsel. You're like a big, dark cloud over what I'm trying to tell you, Job. You can't get it because of your foolishness, because you don't have knowledge. You don't have the fear of the Lord. Um, when we just get talking out of place and out of foolishness, it throws shade over the brilliant counsel of the Lord. And I feel this. I feel this in my heart, um, even this week, where God was like, I'm processing with him, and I'm like, Rrr. but there is always a point where he's like, okay, stop. No more. Just stop. It doesn't mean that he's, uh, you know... Um, going to answer me right now. He's almost never going to answer me the way that I want him to. It doesn't mean he's going to fix it right now, but he has limits. And so part of maturing into following as him is I must grow. I know this. I must grow in obedience and letting him and stopping when he's telling me to stop. And my husband is the biggest. Um, yeah, I dump on you the most. So he... Um, you can talk to him later about whether it's working or not. But this is, this is where it's going is like I have to stop when he tells me to stop. And the, the more I resist stopping when he tells me to stop, like there is some point where he's like, well, do you want me or do you not? And he will stop talking to me. <laughs> you know, if I can't stop being the cloud that's darkening counsel, he's going to stop. I know he will stop talking to me. And that is part of the fear of the Lord, right? Like that your parents warn you things, but at some point, if you're not going to listen to them, they will stop. And they will just let you go forward into the consequence of whatever it is that they were trying to warn you about. If you go to, um, go to chapter 40, moreover... The Lord, so the Lord, you know, he does all of this, um, these questioning. Were you there when I, uh, you know, just all of these crazy questions. They're just highlighting like, Job, you're kind of nothing and you've been alive for two seconds. You just, you kind of don't know anything, but I'm God. 
Um, chapter 40, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. <laughs> what shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you. And you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you should be justified? And so one thing that is going to keep us from accepting the fear of the Lord, which is going to give us wisdom, is if we are dead set on being justified and that we won't stop when he's told us to stop. He's like, are you going to, are you going to totally, like my judgment, what I have to say about this, the righteousness, because I'm the righteous judge, are you going to completely um, make it worth nothing just so that you don't have to be wrong? Foolishness is um, insisting on our own narrative. And we know very little. And really, that's the point of what God is saying is you know so little and your perspective is so biased and it's from the one place that your feet have been standing. There is no way you can understand everything that's going on. So why are you holding so hard to your narrative? You've asked me all of these questions. I'm trying to talk to you. Be quiet. Let me tell you. <laughs> do you want to know or do you not? So part of the fear of the Lord is maturing into um, patience. It's maturing into understanding of how little we know and embracing the humility of that. When we see God rightly, it puts um, the fear of him into our hearts. So when we have the fear of the Lord, it moves our hearts into humility. And when our hearts are humble, you guys, you know you felt this. When you really touch humility, like it is a gift from heaven, you just touched it. And your heart's just soft. It just is. It's just soft. And it's a gift from God, right? It was like, you ever feel that? Like it was nothing you did. You just have this humility, it's a gift from the Lord, and it made your heart soft. And then a soft heart can be moved. It can be corrected. And then you're, then you're reaping um, a harvest of wisdom. Um, let's go to Isaiah 50. I just flip in my Bible because I figure you guys might be too. I like printing these out. Isaiah 50. Um, verses 4 through 7. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. 
I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheek to those who plucked out my, the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. There's this really funny thing that happens when we embrace humility, and it is not that we just lay on the ground and... Um, just say, well, I don't know about anything. It actually is both. We, we start to see God rightly, and we start to really see what we do not see rightly. Um, and at the same time, he sets our face, face like flint to not let go of the things that he has told us and we know. Um, but it's just like, we, I feel like we talk about this with prophecy a lot, like, I'm not giving up on this thing, but I also hold it loosely knowing that I don't, how I picture this coming to fruition is probably not how it's going to happen. Does that make sense? And so it is, it is both the faithfulness to hold on to what the Lord has told us and the humility to be bendy in it. And then also just to point out that the, the one who has got this face set like flint has also embrace persecution. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And there's that humility to endure the abuse. And yet, I know what, you know, like I know what God's told me and so I'm going to stay in this. So I just want to talk about Moses again. Um, what the Lord says about Moses is really, um, it's really startling because he said he was the most humble man. How crazy that God would say that. Who wrote down, God told Moses he was the most humble man. He did. He did. Do you remember Paul when he's like, I haven't obtained my crown? But at the end of his life, he's like, I have obtained my crown. And we would, we would call that arrogance, but there is, that's not the most humble man ever was like, God told me I was. He regarded me as such. So Moses had a long period of time between when he, remember, like he kills the Egyptian and, and he flees Egypt. You know, he had grown up there and then he gets married. He becomes a shepherd. And there's all this time for the Lord to kind of get his heart into this really soft place before the burning bush. Um, and then the, I forgot to write down where it's at. I think this is in three, right? Exodus three. Um, but just, I want to point out that just the humility um, when he starts questioning God and they're kind of going back and forth, how much humility he had. Um, he led millions of people out of Egypt and he, it wasn't like, hey, I've got a good idea. Um, what do you guys think? You know, they didn't like form a committee kind of thing. Like uh, the people, the, the Israelites had to be willing to follow him out. And if they had not followed him out, he'd still be the most humble man and very, like the most faithful guy, right? They had a choice to make, but they made the choice to follow him. But it was the fear of the Lord. And, and God knows he knew the right day when to, 
set that bush on fire. And he was like, okay, his heart is prepared to revere me to the point where he will not fear man. Because the weight of the fear of man on this one guy, it was the weight of the world. And he had to, I mean, it was, there was no in between. He had to get completely out from under it. And you can't get out from under the fear of man if you do not fear God. It is the only fear that can get you out from under the fear of man. And we know we've prayed about not fearing man for such a long time, and it's still sort of there. It's still something that the Lord is working out of us. And the more, uh, the more that we fear God, the more quickly we are to obey him, and the less trouble we're going to heap on our own heads. Like, other trouble is going to come. Other people might heap trouble on our heads. A world of problems might come our way, but we're not heaping trouble on our own heads when we obey the Lord and just move quickly. Um, go to Psalm 33. Verses 18 through 22. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. And what does that mean? He doesn't see, like, all the people in the world who don't fear him. He's not looking at them. Yeah, he sees them too. What does it mean to you? If, the, if, if God visited you and he's like, my eyes have been on you. It makes me think of Daniel when that angel's like, mm -mm, we, we know you're faithful. You love the Lord. Um, the Lord's heart was moved. When you started to pray, we started to move right away. That's what it feels like to have the eye of the Lord on you. Yeah, you are, belo you are beloved. And the eye of God is on you. To they, on, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Your soul, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. And just in this little passage, it's telling us the fear of the Lord should stir up hope. It should stir up patience in us. It should stir up joy, trust, confidence, peace in trials. Just for time, I won't go there, but you know the story of Joshua when he, um, the captain of the Lord's army shows up and he's like, are you on our side or their side? They're about to go into battle. And he's like, nobody's, I'm on nobody's side, but you could make a choice to be on my side. Um, the fear of the Lord is seeing him rightly. And so um, I think, I think we would kind of faint if we could realize how at the beginning of understanding and knowing God and seeing him, how much God looks like me and my preferences and the way that I think a good leader should be, or if we call him dad, what I think a good dad should be, or if we call him a king or a husband or, you know, all these names that we have for him, a provider. And, and slowly over time, though, in this sanctification, God is, he's changing how he looks because my eyes are seeing more rightly. They should be seeing more rightly. Um, he is 
the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his character is perfectly consistent. And this is the qualifier to fear him completely is because he is unchanging. And so I think of um, if you've ever lived, especially lived in the same household with someone whose personality is volatile. I know some of us have. That's terror. And that is so untrustworthy. And it colors your life. If that was in your childhood, it can color your life. When you don't know and you build all of these walls up because you don't know what's coming at you. If you have had the pleasure of living with people who have very consistent personalities, like my husband, I don't know how well you know him, he is so consistent in his personality. And what a gift, like the Lord gave me, because he's not given to outbursts of anger. He's, he's not wildly, like I'm never, I've never been scared he's going to go like spend the money, uh, you know, the mortgage money, gambling or anything like that. He's just so consistent and it's such a safe place. And I know it's a safe place that my kids have grown up with. Um, we can believe God that he is who he said he is. He's slow to anger. He is. He's not about to blow up. You know what I mean? If you're ever around people that you're like, okay, listen, we're going to go in there, but don't say this. and Don't talk about that. And, um, and you're flattering them. It's all of this manipulation to get them from blowing up, especially if they are older than you or more powerful than you have a position of authority. Um, the Lord is rich in love and patience. He is perfect in justice beyond what we could, we would, beyond our thoughts, it says his thoughts are so much higher than yours. They are completely different than the way that you would think about justice. He's perfection and justice. He's altogether righteous and he's trustworthy and he's faithful. He's completely true. And he won't be mocked also. What we sow, we will reap. He promised. The wicked are not escaping judgment and justice. And when I am a victim or my heart is burdened for the way that other people are victimized, this is a comfort. But I also must accept that my wickedness is not escaping judgment or justice. And then I have mercy for other people. He hears the cries of the poor, the widow, the orphan. He promises he does. He knows who the least among us are, not on the surface or what we might think the least of us are. He knows it. His ways and preferences are perfection, and we were made to thrive in them. He is only a terror to those who won't get to know him. The more you get to know him, the closer you get to him, the less of a terror he is. He will ever be to you because you won't be surprised. He tells his prophets what's coming. He promised he does. If you want to know, he'll tell you enough that you need to know to not have to live in the, the, the terror of the Lord. But to people who don't know him, he is volatile. They don't know what to expect from him. When we will not conform to who he really is, that leaves us open to um, 
being surprised by who, who he is. Do you know what I'm saying? You're, you don't want to be shocked. So, Lord, like, I probably don't, like, show me more rightly, like, who you are and the way that you feel about this, the way that you're thinking about this. Your thought process is not just a fun game. It is, um, it's, it's everything. And, but his consistent character is what is making him this rock that our feet can stand on. And the longer you stand on it, the more you're going to feel, oh, it's not moving. It's not moving some more. And in the beginning, it's always comforting that it's not moving until I don't want to move. <laughs> and then there's a conflict between his not moving and me not wanting to move, and I have a choice to make. Am I going to... Am I going to... Do I care enough that my feet stay on this rock to change or not? Let's go to Isaiah 8. Um, Verses 12 through 18. For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy. Concerning all this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Let him be your sanctuary. Well, wait, if you're fearing something and you're dreading it, wouldn't you want to get away from it? And he's like, no, fear me. To dread, come in my house. And I just saw, um, oh, little red riding hood and the wolf, like getting into grandma's uh, pajamas and in her bed. And, but God's not like that. He's like, wait. I'm different than everybody else. You can fear me. You can dread me. Come so close to me. If you will not come close to me, I'm still going to be a fear. I'm still going to be a dread. It might be a few days before you realize it. But he says, I will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says, I am to both Israel, uh, both the houses of Israel, and I'm a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken, because they don't really know him. We have to know him. He paid the price that we could know him, to dwell in his house forever. And it's that unmoving, the unchanging nature of what makes him the rock of offense. And anyone who is standing in this place like that, setting your face like flint, that is that what it will make you a rock of offense. Because we know if we're following him, we end up following him into the, um, um, the fellowship of his suffering, which is that people are tripping over you. And you know, I feel like I've said this before, when you trip over a rock, you you curse the rock, you know what I mean? Like, when you stub your toe on something, words come out of your mouth. The salty words come out of your mouth. You curse what you trip over. Or if you have any kind of wisdom, I mean, sometimes I trip over the Lord and I'm like, wait, wait. Okay, I did not like that, but wait. <laughs> I think that was you. Sometimes. We have to um, mature out of making God into our own image and um, 
more into the fear of him and just standing on where he's at and being willing to move. Um, there is, there's a parable. There's a couple of things I wanted to point out about the fear of the Lord. The parable of the minas. Um, I will turn there. You don't have to if you don't want to, but it's in Luke 19. I'm not going to read all of it. Because there's a man who says that he fears God, and it's a lie. He doesn't. So just because you say that you fear God doesn't even mean that you fear God. Anyway, um, so this is, you know, he's given the the 10 minas. Um, is it five? Yeah. Um, then the first comes back to him, um, this money that the Lord gave them to, or the, their master gave them to invest in. Um, then came the first saying, Master, your mina has been ten minas. Um, and he said to him, Well done, good, good servant, because you are faithful with very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Um, likewise, he said, You also be over five cities. And then another came and he said, Master, here is, here's your money back, for which I have kept put away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. Uh, and that means like harsh, you're hard. You collect what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man collecting what you knew. You knew it. Um, Collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. That's not fair. (laughs) God's not fair. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that everyone who has will be, um, that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Um, so obviously we know the nature of the Lord is that he's slow, he's slow um, in anger. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in love. Right? And we all have... Quickly, we could name a dozen testimonies of when the Lord has confronted you and gently been like, Stephanie, that's not me. I don't think that way, right? So it's not like this was this guy's first offense. There's something that was going on in his heart, and it was really deep, and he was saying, he's so harsh. He's so hard. I'm scared of him. Instead of standing on what his character is, which was, he's really compassionate, I want to do this for him. I'm going to try to make this earn some more money. He's not going to be mad at me if I lose it. I'm going to try. Without the fear of the Lord, um, we just fall into unrestraint, which you prayed about, right, Noah? Um, that we would, we would increase in being restrained, not throw off restraint, right? Like, we're going into more self-control, not a lack of, of control, which is really hard, which is really hard because the whole world is going into the opposite, right? Like um, the division is becoming more clear, and it really does make it hard to, um, we have to get over that, like, dude, what are you doing? Well, it, it's Satan. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, people who don't have the Lord are going to act like Satan. And, and some people who do have the Lord are going to act like Satan, right? Like, we're, 
like the the restraint is being lifted and so the devil is coming out of us and so that's good for us because sometimes it really points a very pointed picture at our own selves by what comes out of our mouth that there is a problem a huge problem and if we will let our hearts be soft then we're like lord help me i don't you know i want to go deeper into you not into worldliness and sin Oh, I promised a story. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a time when I was unrestrained and foolishness came pouring out of my mouth. Um, And I was ashamed of it in the moment. I was in, I think I was a senior, and that probably had something to do with the story. I was in physics class, Mr. Schmidt's class. Mr. Schmidt knew me pretty well. I think I had him for three science classes in high school. And I was a good kid. Um, I was mostly a good kid. I didn't like to get in trouble with authority I didn't like to get in trouble. Like, I wasn't in the office. If I was, I was running an errand for a teacher. It was kind of a goody two-shoes. So I'm talking, and the bell has rung, and our teacher would like us to stop talking and to sit down. And I even think, besides it being a senior, I was probably close to the end of the school year. And so I, you know I did not care, and no, nobody else did. And we're talking, and uh, my last name is Beeman. And he's like, Beeman? Shut up. And I, I, I was standing, like, he was there. He was kind of kitty corner. And I'm not kidding you guys, to my teacher. I was like, Pfft. and I, like, blew a raspberry in his direction. Thanks, Alice. Um, her face goes, <sighs> and, like, the second, and, like, I look at him, and immediately I was like, oh, my good girl track record is about to be lost. And I couldn't believe I did it. And I look at him, and he goes, he was a big guy, too. He goes, and, um, and I just go, I just mouth it. I go, I'm sorry. And he's like, sit down. <laughs> and, and, but he was, I really, like, in that, it was a split second. I was like, I'm going to the office. I'm going to get in trouble. And it's like, it's so embarrassing because I was old. And that was really, in that moment, that was why it was so embarrassing to me was because, like, I know I'm not a little kid anymore, and I can't believe I just did that. I just was so caught up in what I was doing and talking to my friends. I would have done that to a friend, but not my teacher. And um, that I was like, I should have, I sh- I'm mature beyond this. I just literally, like, wasn't thinking and I lost control and just did something very foolish. And But he was merciful. He's just like, sit down. I'm like, yes, sir. I will sit down right this second. And you guys know me, so actually that probably doesn't surprise you. Okay, go to Matthew 24. <laughs> that rebellion. It was just stirring in my heart the whole time. <laughs> um, he... So, so this is one of the ways that I want to talk about, um, like, what happens. The Lord promised over and over again. He warned um, one of the ways that we will um, lose our restraint and behave foolishly is in the way that we treat one another. Um, it says in uh, 2445, Matthew 2445, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. This is good. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Mind you, he doesn't say it out loud. He just says it in his heart, which is out of sight, out of mind. 
like my teacher was, I wasn't looking at him. He was over here, and that's probably why I did that. But if I had been looking at him, he would have been in my sight, and I would have had the restraint to be like, can't do that. My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is, not only is it wise, uh, um, fruit of wisdom will be that we keep in our mind, at the tip of our brain, that Jesus is returning, or even just the nearness of the Lord, of just his presence. You know, when I'm alone in my house with Tom, that I have restraint in what I'm saying in the place where um, I'm the least likely to be restrained because of the fear of the Lord and his presence in my home, that I don't somehow get like a pass if I say it to my closest people. Um, The knowledge of his presence and the nearness of his coming, um, it does all of these things to our hearts, and it puts on all kinds of restraint. Um, And specifically, he's talking in this one about abusing one another in the household of God. Um, And then Numbers 12. This is maybe one of the last things I'm saying. I don't go to Numbers 12 very often. Um, There's really, it's the whole chapter. It's a really sobering story about, um, well, really it is about the Lord's mercy in um, people screwing up. It says, then Miriam, Miriam and Aaron, they spoke against Moses, against the Ethiopian, because of the Ethiopian woman whom he married. And like, as I read, just notice how convoluted all of this is. <laughs> There's like four things going on and none of them make sense. And the Lord's like, let me just clear everything out of the way and get right to the point of what's actually going on. So um, you've got Miriam and Aaron and they are, they are making accusation against Moses because of this other thing uh, that he got married to an Ethiopian woman. And so they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken also through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who are on the face of the earth. Um, so there's like this weird thing about a wife, and then immediately he's like, um, well, why does Moses get to say all this stuff? Can't we talk to? Which was true. They could. They could hear the Lord. But Moses was an authority figure and they were basically they were throwing him under the bus because they wanted something that he had and suddenly the lord said to moses aaron and miriam come out you three to the tabernacle of meeting talk about the fear of the lord oh my gosh um so the three came out then the lord came down and a pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called aaron and miriam and they both went forward and then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream, not so with my, my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak to him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? They knew this about Moses. This relationship that he had with Moses, it wasn't like some secret thing. They knew it. 
And he's like, what is going on with you guys that you have thrown off so much restraint? Like (laughs) that I have to show up in person and have a conversation, a family conversation. And this was really kind of the Lord to take it, take them all aside. So the anger, and and he's just looking at them. It's sort of like this confrontation with um, Cain, like, why are you downcast? What's going on? Why are you angry? And he says it to Miriam and to Aaron, and he says, why were you not afraid? Like, basically, you don't know who I am if you didn't have the fear of the Lord in this moment. Um, So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. And then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord because he was humble, right? Humble people have mercy for their adversaries. And he says, please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had put a, had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? So let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not um, journey until Miriam was brought in again. And afterwards the people moved. Um, that the Lord was so like merciful in this situation to come and correct it quickly before it spread to everybody trying to go like, yeah, <laughs> what they said. And he severely dealt with it. The fear of the Lord will redirect our attention and our focus from other people because that's really their accusation. It has nothing to do with the wife. They just found this random thing to be like this. And they were bothered by Moses and they were, they were bothered by him and the authority the Lord had given them. And they, we, we can fear the Lord, right, in the sense that... Um, I'm not going to argue with God about this thing. Because he is perfect, I know I will lose. Right? We all kind of, I think, know that. I'm going to lose. You are perfection. And so I take this situation, but I can argue with Tom. Because I know he's not perfect. And so there is some wiggle room for it to be his fault and not mine. And this is why we abuse one another, is because... He's this rock that won't move. <laughs> and, and I don't want to stumble over him. And I want to be good with him because I love him. And I don't want to just say, God, I'm mad at you. I'm really mad that it turned out this way. Why did you let this happen? And we don't want to engage in that. And so we get abusive with one another because none of us are perfect. And the Lord is saying, stop, stop doing that. You come to me. You and me got problems, but I let that happen. So why don't you come talk to me? Quit getting so mad at everybody else and deflecting what's going on. There's a reason I let you like walk through this. Like there was a reason. And I wonder what if they had just, hopefully uh, Miriam and Aaron went back and they talked to the Lord about these things in a humble way. 
their hearts were soft and he was able to talk to them and the Lord didn't like write them off. They're in the story more. Um, the fear of the Lord will get our conversation off of the earth and it gets it up into heaven. But there's a lot of you be quiet now in heaven. And we don't like that. I hate it. <laughs> My flesh hates it being told. Who do you think you are? Stop talking. Wait. You're asking a question. That's okay. But you don't get to come into my throne room and just... <laughs> and I hate it. But I can't... But I also want to live there forever. And so I have to figure out, like, do I want to live there forever enough that I'm willing to let him say, you got to stop talking now and wait. And I'll answer you when I answer you, but you've got to wait and be quiet. Be at peace. Just be at peace. Don't you want to be at peace? No. And the truth is no. Like my soul, if, like I put it on my list of things I'm praying for myself every day. Lord, that my soul would love peace and hate chaos and hate drama. That I would love peace because my soul does not love peace. But I want to live with him forever. And he's selling me on the idea that I have to change. Um, our knowledge and understanding of Jesus is only going to increase and it's not going to decrease forever. He will ever, forever be coming more and more glorious in our eyes. Um, not like any earthly person where you really get to know them and you're like, <laughs> and the honeymoon is over and take it down a notch. Oh, they're real human. Actually, the, uh, he's the only one. He's so glorious. Because the opposite is going to happen. When we're getting to know him more and more, you're like, it just keeps getting better and better, right? Like Noah and Marion, right, Marion? Like you're, you're far enough in it, right, to be like, I like him. I do. I really like him. I like him more. And then we had this conversation, I like him more. And then he became human. <laughs> and that, you know what I mean? But it's never going to be that with the Lord because he's never going to stoop down to our level, but he is bringing us up to where he is. Does the worship team want to come up? Whoever that is, worshipers, stand up. Um, the increase of his glory, it produces love, it produces awe, it produces fear. And um, the reason that this is so important is because there are so many things to be scared of in the world. It's a really, really, really scary place. It's really scary. Like under every... Behind every shadow and every rock, it is fear. And it's the opportunity to be afraid of everything around us is increasing. And the fear of the Lord is the only fear that can get us out from the fear of everything else. So how about just have one fear of one person that's actually worthy of it? Just one, like singular mindedness in our fear is what the Lord is calling us to. And this is, um, the psalmist said that he's fairer than the sons of men um, or that he's chief among 10,000 and that's what they mean. I look at every, he is the, he's the one to fear, the one to dread. He's my favorite. If I, if I were to call anybody the strongest, it's gonna be him. 
the smartest, the most beautiful, the most joyful. Man, if I needed joy, there's no other person I can think of in the world I would call to come be here right now. It's just him. I'll call him. He's the, he's the fairest of anybody. You could line all the f- fun people up in the world, and he's the most fun. He's the most hopeful. He's the most powerful. He's the most able. So, Lord, um, uh, we just give you our minds again and say they are divided. There is a schism in our being, but you have called us to be single-minded, to have a one-thing focus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would touch us with the fear of the Lord in this house, that you would be our fear, you would be our dread. Lord, that we would, um, you would give us grace to step out from under the fear of everything else, everybody else, every situation. Lord, I pray where we are anxious and tired because we are looking into future and trying to figure out how to deal with all the fears. Just get us out of that game, Lord. The only guarantee about the future is that you are there, Jesus. It's the only promise is that you are present in those moments. So what can man do to me? What do I have to be afraid of? Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just say that because we know it's the right thing. We would actually let you unpack it this week, next week, this month. What do I have to be afraid of? What can man do to me? It feels like a lot. Lord, I'm praying that um, the the glory um, of your presence, it would fill our eyes until we have only you to be afraid of. Lord, that we would draw close. You would be our fear and our dread, and we would dwell with you where you are. In Jesus' name.